Welcome to Crossing the Floor, your non-partisan guide to politics and law for all Year 11 and 12 students in Western Australia. We come to you from the PC Podcast Studio. I'm Miss Pepper. And I'm Mr Clark O'Reilly. And (laughs) welcome to our, I don't know, is it our second episode of Term 4 of Crossing the Floor? Accountability um, special. It is an account where we're going to focus on executive accountability um, in this episode, uh, which is relevant to both year 11 and 12. Um, we don't, we do want to mention the elephant in the room, which is the US election, but we, we are going to do a, a US election special. So <laughs> best be subscribing to this podcast. So, you know, exactly <laughs> when it, when it hits your Spotify account. Um, so that, that should should be next week. Should be next week for those week. that haven't subscribed. <laughs> um, there should be should be next week. Uh, hopefully, but given that things are still a little bit um, uncertain at this point, we and also so much has been in the news um, mm. happening at Senate estimates uh, that we thought we would give a little bit of a background to Senate estimates and yeah, discuss as, what's been yeah, been it's, happening in it's, that um, realm. Yeah, it's it's just as um, flashy, and it's, and it's. I mean, there will probably be people in America listening in to find out what's happening in Senate estimates. Oh yeah, they've, they've, they've switched off the U.S. election. They don't care if Biden whether he gets those six electoral college votes in Nevada. They they want to know <laughs> what's happening at Australia Post. Uh, and I'll use that as a segue. And that's where and that's where we'll begin. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly where we'll begin. But perhaps we should start with a bit of a background to Senate estimates. So perhaps would you like to? You can lead us away. <laughs> I can, you can lead us away. I'll, oh. I'll I'll go into the the, the facts of the. You go into the yeah. facts about Australia. You can see we've rehearsed this <laughs> highly produced uh, episode. Um. All right. So Senate estimates occurs um usually around at least around budget time. Our budget was also delayed this year because of coronavirus. Um. But it it does occur at other times throughout the year in the Senate. Um, uh, not just at the time that the government um, releases the budget, um, but it's a committee in the Senate that is focused on government spending. So I suppose the Senate um, is is there to um, question the government on the taxpayer dollars that it spends. Um, Parliament every year has to approve the budget, pass it like any other bill, um, but that budget that is passed is not down to you know, every single three thousand dollar Cartier watch <laughs> is not um, is not expensed in the budget. So um, the spending of each government department with the funds that they were had been approved and by I think, the Parliament. Yeah, and I, and I think there is a, a few kind of points to point out, as it were. Here, first and foremost, I would say the the process of getting the budget approved in this country is nothing like our cousins from across the water. I don't mean New Zealand. I mean how difficult it is for the Americans to get their budget kind of approved. Oh, right. And we sometimes you're not, see... not talking about across the pond. No, across no, the water. No. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. US. And we and we and we, we've seen some of the problems attached when uh, you might have a difference uh, of political affiliation from the presidency to the Congress, and sometimes we see those kind of really embarrassing shutdowns. So our budget process is nothing like theirs. For the Year 11s and, and 12s, this is a really important accountability mechanism. If you think about the Unit 4 syllabus, that notion of executive accountability, this is a great one. And I sometimes think it's just overlooked. 
but I think that there's so much that goes on at Senate estimates. It's such a powerful mechanism for holding the government to account. Uh, and that's why I think um, doing this kind of one-off special, as it were. Um, we, we love the estimates. We, we do love Senate estimates. Um, not many people uh, say that, but it, but it's true. And I think it's just so relevant for um, the 11s and the 12s, and obviously the 12s with the upcoming uh, exam. Yes. So um, we've just had uh, our round of Senate estimates hearings uh, and some uh, significant issues have, have come to light. So one that I think um, has definitely been in the news pretty prominently is that involving Australia Post um, and, and the spending by its CEO, Christine Holgate, um, on her corporate credit card of some um, pretty, pretty flash-looking Cartier watches. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this. It doesn't pass. It doesn't pass the pub test. And what what is the pub test? Well, I think it's the it's the kind of the test that the the every man, the every uh, the every man, the every woman uh, would basically give it the tick of approval. If they were put in that particular position, would they do the same thing? Do they think it's right to be giving people um, watches up to the value of of seven thousand um, dollars? And I think the pub test basically on this one just said no. And I don't think, I don't think many people said that this was the right time to be handing out these watches. But, but let's actually get into why they were awarded in the first place. Yes. So, look, we've got, um, I suppose, to to rewind a little bit. Um, Labor senator um, in Senate estimates um, queried the mm. spending. Uh, so Kimberly Kitching from the Labor Party um, asked the CEO, Christine Holgate, uh, in Senate estimates, um, whether she rewarded employees at Australia Post for um, for securing a, a pretty significant deal where I think essentially major banks um, allowed, you know, allowed you to go and do your banking at Australia Post rather than having to go to your local bank, West and I, Branch. And, I, and I'm guessing that in this, Australia Post will take some form of commission. Yes. And therefore it brings in some hundred thousand, potentially millions of dollars worth of revenue per year. Absolutely. So it was a it was a it was a coup. Don't quote Mr. Clark O'Reilly on that figure. I feel like you've just pulled that. Who knows no, how no, much no, no, how no, many I'm, how much money that was worth to Australia Post, but a significant yeah. sum. Yeah, but that? what I'm saying, I'm saying it it, it, it certainly would be oh. more than the twenty thousand oh, dollars that it cost for these watches. Yes, yes. That's the point I'm yes. It's not that these this deal was just, you know. Um, didn't benefit anyone. No, yes, it, it was would have definitely benefited Australia Post. And I'm also going to guess that it would have to have come under a pre-agreed upon um, bonus structure. They they weren't just they weren't just pulled out of thin air here. I mean, look, to be honest, I don't I don't know, but I, I suppose um, yeah. So when when the Labor senator asked Christine Holgate if she rewarded those employees, Holgate responded that there were a number of small number of senior people who'd put in an inordinate amount of work and they did receive an award from the chair, myself, and on behalf of the board. And when Senator Kitching asked what was the award, Holgate replied with, they got watches. Now, they weren't just, you know, your, your Casio <laughs> uh, watch. They were Cartier watches um, valued at thousands of dollars each, um, Ranging from there, were, I think the cheapest one was uh, how much, Mr. Clark O'Reilly? I feel like we've, we've written that down somewhere about three thousand dollars. Well, this is it. This is the this is the other issue. With okay. This. So initially, she was said um, that as far back as twenty eighteen, um, the executives 
were given watches in and about the region of $3,000. But this is where I thought it got interesting. But in a statement released on Friday, um, the, the Australia Post chair actually said that the four luxury timepieces actually cost between $7,000 and $3,800, totaling $19,950. Uh -huh. So not the $3,000 that she quoted, okay. which would come to about $12,000. It's up, up close to $20,000. I think that was one of the other issues as well. Right. So she hadn't necessarily been fully frank in her disclosure, potentially whether she maybe unknowingly just assumed. We, we don't it. want to we cast don't, aspersions no, no. on her um, on, on that on her in that respect. My my other issue or the other thing that I found interesting about this particular um, event at Senate Estimates was that I found that it actually demonstrated a rare show of unity. Mm. Because looking at some of the statements that have come out after the hearing, um, you know, we've got the government. Morrison said that the gifts were disgraceful and appalling. Uh, union leaders had come out and slammed the decision to give high-ranking executives this this kind of um, pay when, uh, as they see it, uh, people on, on the coalface are not getting a, um, you know, a bonus, are not getting any increase in salary, especially in kind of post-COVID times, when you would expect Australia Post to be doing much, much better because of the necessity to kind of send things um, around the world or potentially interstate. Uh, and then Green Senator, Sarah Hansen young your friend, um, <laughs> My friend, questioned the bonuses. Uh, were they, in this current current financial climate, the right thing to be doing should they be going in line with community expectations so we've got a kind of a an unlikely alliance yes. between the government the greens and unions all yes. coming out and condemning this however however oh however the opposition though so if we think about we can link this to the role of the opposition mm. um of course you know scomo said it's terrible uh, but shadow treasurer um jim chalmers um was yeah well he, he was critical he indeed he said it was hypocritical of the prime minister mm. to criticize miss holgate when mr morrison's own ministers had been caught in their own financial scandals such as the sports rorts, sports rorts saga and so he said what we asked from the prime minister is that he applied the same standards to his own ministers that he has applied to miss holgate on this occasion mm. so it's an interesting uh point because i think we we look at that we, there's been discussion about does it pass the pub test in this current climate? Mm. It's $20,000 on watches and these bonuses. Yes, they work very hard, but if you're working for a government department, should should they have been um, spending and, and giving those very um, elaborate bonuses? The answer from the, the public and uh, is it's, no. Is probably no. But is, you know, so, but then what happens and we will discuss a few other examples mm. Um, of executive accountability in this episode. In this where special. In this special. So Christine Holgate's resigned. Really good example of like cause and effect. She, the executive was held to account because so she stepped down. So we can use that for our unit four. Yep. But then as you just quite rightly pointed out, back to unit three, yep. role and power of the opposition. Yes. Fantastic. Uh, and what we'll see when we talk about, well, sports rorts, we saw Bridget McKenzie resign, but we'll talk about Sydney Airport, what's happened with that not a lot at this point in time so um yes christine holgate i think has fallen on the sword for um for scomo and i think he's probably very grateful for that all right buckle up
we're going to start talking about the Auditor General, who, in my opinion, is usually the most boring syllabus top point to teach. But, um, you know, uh, until this year, because um, the Auditor General, what a hero. I feel (laughs) I've got as much love for for Grant as I do for um, Jackie Lambie. So, um, yeah, the Auditor General has been really, I mean, if anyone needs a Cartier watch, it's the Auditor General for doing an exceptional job in holding the government to account. You're giving me a side eye like I'm I'm definitely... I don't know if that would pass the pub test. I'm sorry. (laughs) I think he's on a a very comfortable salary. Um, So, yes, the Auditor General has been shining a light on all sorts of um, uh, government spending, but let's start by talking about who the Auditor General is. So... Take it away, Mr. Franco okay. Riley. Um, yeah, because I think it's sometimes, it, I think especially if you're going into the exams, those, as we always said, chase that second mark. Mm. I think it's one of those sorts of things. If you're going to introduce something on the Auditor General, know your stuff and don't just start writing about your contemporary example. So the Auditor General uh, is an independent officer of the Parliament uh, and it's created under statute. So it's created under the Auditor General Act um, and they had a, a wide variety of different roles to perform. So the Auditor General himself or themselves is appointed on a 10-year statutory appointment and it's made by the Governor-General in consultation with the Prime Minister. So it's, 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 it's a serious role, it's a serious position. Um, and the Auditor General and the Auditor General's office has a number of kind of key roles to perform. So think about your performance audits and think about your financial audits. So thinking about the fact that the Auditor General can go through the financial statements of Commonwealth departments. So I always think to myself, it's actually a really valuable tool if we're thinking about this syllabus dot point of executive accountability. Because if the Auditor General goes through with a fine tooth comb and uncovers kind of spending um, inaccuracies or spending um, issues, uh, then they can be brought to light. The other one is this, as I talked about before, is performance audits. Okay, so using those kind of KPIs. Um, been able to compare different um, government departments, different parts of, of the executive branch and making sure that they're actually performing. So the Auditor General is a really, really important uh, role to play in this country. But as we'll uncover, are they being turned into a toothless tiger? Well, not if Grant's got anything to say well, about it. Grant here. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his surname. I'm just going to call him Grant now. <laughs> I did notice that. I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I, did. I, I often do that. I, as well. I shied away from the yeah. surname, but I feel like I should explain why. Uh, anyway, um, so look, I, I think he's performing, as you would know, as, I, as I've said already, <laughs> exceptionally well uh, in the circumstances. I mean, mm. um, and so the circumstances being that the Auditor General, his budget is being slashed. Mm. So he's he's um, therefore having access to fewer and fewer resources uh, in order to perform these audits um, of government spending and um, and government business. And when you say that the uh, budget has been slashed, what are we talking? How much are we talking here? Well, so um, government released their their budget as we kind of mentioned, Mm -hmm. which was picked apart in Senate estimates. Um, And so in that budget, the government had slashed $14 million from the Auditor General's um, operating budget. So um, for this next financial year, they're going to be um, 
they're going to have $14 million less, less. To, to, to do their, their job and their work effectively in holding the government to account. And I would imagine that that money is going to come out of a reduction in the number of performance audits. If, if that's what I'm reading, that it, there's going to be a reduction in the number of performance audits. Um, they wanted to deliver, I think, 48 performance audits a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think they're going to get near that. No, in the high thirties. He was, I suppose, he, they were asking for, you know, additional funds in the order of about six point three million dollars uh, in this next budget, um, and instead they got fourteen million dollars less taken off than they were hoping for. Um, so it's, I think, a really um, interesting, interesting optics in that it's a year in which the in government ministers have fallen foul of the Auditor General, and we'll kind of talk um, a bit about sports rorts in a bit about how the, the role of the Auditor General in bringing that issue to light. Mm. And uh, we've seen um, the Auditor General and the Sydney Airport saga, the triangle, the, the Leppington Triangle. Uh, and what do we now see? The Auditor General's office having uh, $14 million less next year. So Labor have come out and basically done what they've they've kind of they've said that this is a potential um, punishment. Well, I mean, yeah, and and I suppose yeah that 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 is what the optics I mean yeah look like. But I wonder on the pub test is anyone really talking about the Auditor General unless it's you and I are down at the pub? Yes, yeah, exactly. I'm not yeah. sure if anyone else cares well, enough about the Auditor General, but they should. Well, no, Rex Patrick. Oh. Love it. Um, who came out and said uh, the thing, uh, the thing that people who operate in the dark corners fear most is the light, and the auditor carries a very bright torch. Sounds like an opening from Batman. However, uh, <laughs> I do think that's quite a nice um, uh, kind of you know a, a nice kind of quote to, to highlight the importance. Um, and just to kind of go back to those uh, figures, um, the auditor general's office last year. Um, carried out 42 performance audits uh, and as of next financial year they think they'll go down to 40 the following sorry by 2023 24 that'll go down to 38 so you can see and if you know and read between the lines it's it's no harm in 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 making this part of your argument if you're thinking about an assessment that the the accusation could be that the auditor general has uncovered some wrongdoings the government has then in a petulant move, decided to punish them. And that's, that's it. All right. Speaking of the Auditor General <laughs> and his, his excellent work, um, ASIC. ASIC's been under the, the watchful eye of um, Grant Dreamboat Hahia. <laughs> um <laughs> So yes, ASIC. ASIC. What is? We've had that many uh, an acronyms this episode. We have. Um, I I feel <laughs> that there'll be people at home thinking, "What on earth is ASIC? Who on earth are ASIC?" So please, ASIC is the corporate um, regulator. So any company, registered company, um, or financial market is regulated by ASIC. So um, they are all about trying to promote fairness in the market um, and sort of creating transparency um, so that investors and, and consumers um, are, 
on a level playing field, I suppose. And they've got power. They do. They have a significant um, uh, amount of power um, from, I can only assume, the Corporations Act. Uh, And uh, it's basically all I did when I worked as a lawyer was the Corporations Act was the only piece of legislation I looked at, which is why I'm no longer a lawyer anymore. (laughs) It's very big, not very interesting. Um, So, yeah, ASIC has um, a lot of uh, regulatory and enforcement powers um, and things that they can do are like making rules to ensure the integrity of financial markets. What does that mean? Um, So things like, um, you know, the ASX, the um, Australian Stock Exchange, um, ASIC can uh, force companies to like go into a trading halt uh, if they're about to... um, release information that might force their product yeah, their, their stock yeah so preventing things like insider yeah. trading from being able to occur so that's i suppose probably the easiest one to understand yeah. is they kind of can get in there and prevent insider trading from uh going rife um and yeah they can like issue infringement notices if um, companies breach the corporations act um so asset significant power so they're, so they're... in our in our system, and they're they're a government department, and they're so they're a watchdog. They're a they're watchdog, yeah. Designed to kind of keep a check on financial institutions. Yes, but you know who's designed to keep a check on ASIC, <laughs> the ANAO. All right, so uh, and of course they've been doing their job, stellar job, looking into spending at ASIC, and it turns out I think there's been a bit of spending that's um, a bit on the nose. It does not pass the pub test. No, I I, I think the figures of. Seventy thousand dollars have been banded around, oh my um, God. and I think it's led to the, or it has led to the, uh, the deputy chair of ASIC being forced to quit um, because it came out uh, through the uh, investigation uh, by the ANAO um, that he had received the seventy thousand dollars in uh, expenses relating to. It was tax. moving. Oh, oh no, that was moving. Sorry, it was moving yeah. from the US. He, he really got in early before the coronavirus 2018. He foresaw it and uh, got $70,000 to assist. I mean, I don't know what he was moving, but $70,000 appears to be significant. But, yeah. I mean, I, I think to myself, if you've if you've taken on that role and that's part and parcel of your moving package. Oh, I, I think potentially that $70,000 was maybe pushing the limit is what I can only assume. Particularly given his um, remuneration sits at around six hundred and seventy thousand dollars per year. Um, but but he's not the only one. No, he's not. No, this is the one. Yeah. Yeah, big boss, the chair, the ASIC chair. Uh, turned out ASIC had paid in the order of one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars for him to receive. And that was the tax advice. That was the tax oh, advice. Okay. Yeah. Um, he w- earns in the order of about eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But so that I mean. So it's just under what a has teacher. Earns. <laughs> Good. Good. So yes, there though the um, ha- there have been some resignations as a result of these revelations. So again, we can see the power of the audit office in holding the executive accountable, because in terms of that cause and effect, the issues come to light. Um, they become a real public issue for the government and. Um, we can see those resignations, Chair of ASIC, CEO of Australia Post. So the, that the audit office is a really powerful 
executive accountability tool, far more powerful, I think, than probably, well, definitely powerful, that more powerful than, say, um, individual and collective ministerial yeah. responsibility. Oh, absolutely. For yeah, yeah. So definitely one to watch and keep an eye on. Okay. Senate estimates again, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, the arts rescue package. So in terms of uh, coronavirus, mm-hmm. um, one of the, the big losers in coronavirus was, well... We were all losers we were, in coronavirus. Were, but, uh, yeah, in terms of industries, apart from the travel industry, mm. um, the the arts industry went, well, there, there were very few gigs and theatre productions happening uh, during the pandemic for hopefully obvious reasons. Um, and so just under pressure um, from the... From the industry, the Morrison government threw a whole bunch of money at the at um, at the arts, about two hundred and fifty million dollars. But yeah. um, so if you yeah, I think it was announced back in June, mm-hmm. and they basically just I think you're right under under a bit of pressure uh, said, look, we've got to do something. And you're right, it was a two hundred and fifty million dollar package um, that was to try and kind of restart. Uh, they called it the creative economy, right, and get Love the it. entertainment arts and screen sectors back to work. So the idea was was that, as he said, people aren't going out to the theatres, the people aren't going out to live performances, people aren't going out to the cinema. So there's going to be a flow on effect, mm-hmm. uh, especially for the, you know, for kind of the struggling, um, you know, creative arts sectors. Uh, and I think also one of the ones there is, is again there, uh, that this particular sector, um, according to the government estimates, um, is responsible for $112 billion and employs 600,000 Australians. So it's not something that could just be left to kind of die a slow death and just say, well, this is this is, this is is the circle of life. Um, I think they actually needed to step in and do something. And they did it, supposedly. Wonderful. Great job, ScoMo. I didn't think I'd ever hear you say that. <laughs> non-partisan podcast. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, although, um, probably... Uh, I spoke too soon because what happened yeah. at Senate Estimates? Oh, God, more Senate Estimates. <laughs> so what happened? I'm asking. Oh, what sorry. Happened? Sorry, yes. <laughs> um, well, it was basically announced that um, uh, that this money um, hadn't actually been spent or, sorry, that's not entirely correct, $49 million rounded up between friends. We'll call it 50. Mm-hmm. $50 million uh, had actually been uh, spent. Um and they were basically saying at Senate Estimates, the artists are kind of sitting there cap in hand waiting for this money to be spent. And the only people that had actually been uh, given any of this money were Screen Australia. Okay. So they got a nice $50 million payout, um, but nothing else. None of this other money was actually spent propping up uh, the industry. So again, executive accountability, holding the government to account for the promises that it's made, for the, the money that it is pledged to spend, um, so, you know, potentially the arts minister has some questions to answer here, but, um, yeah, I think, again, want... I think it's just a nice contemporary example for, for those of you listening to, to be able to use, mm. you can turn around and say, here is a, just another example of Senate estimates doing its job, holding the government to account, identifying things that you've publicly said back in June yep. and, then, and then calling you on it 
in October, November to say, well, actually, where is this money and where is it gone and how much is left? Thanks for joining us today on another episode of Crossing the Floor. I'm Mr. Clark O'Reilly. And I'm Miss Pepper. And the link to my Twitter, as well as the syllabus points covered today, can be found, as usual, in the show notes.